We don't serve their kind here. He doesn't like you. No blasters! No blasters! I don't like you either. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. Enough of this serious talk. I'd like to regale you now with... Oh, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, yes, in. Cause beautiful's out ugly's in. If you're ugly like me, you're in good company. Cause there's millions of us who are ugly. Episode number 176 of Blast Points is Jason. And it's Gabe. And, and it's one- Tom Spina. <laughs> I didn't know if I was supposed to do that. Sorry. <laughs> You're out. That's it. Oh. How did you sneak in here? <laughs> they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. <laughs> It'd be great if you were just always on the episodes and just some, and just most, some weeks you just. I just don't have anything to say, guys. Right? No, it's, you guys got this. I'm just going to listen. <laughs> In fact, maybe I'll just do that tonight. I'm, I'm kicking back. Uh, oh, it is always a pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure to be talking to you. It's an honor. It's a treat. It's a thrill. We love talking to you. And this week, we are talking about possibly the most important topic there is to talk about in the star wars galaxy the star wars universe the humans the uglies of the cantina possibly the most you really want to qualify that or do you just want to go for it (laughs) i think we're going for it i think that's this whole episode we're going for it it was one of those things that like the the humans of the cantina snuck up on even me you know it the, the aliens are it's so weird i mean Let's face it, like we are all at this this point with Star Wars where it's really the minutiae that gets us going. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's be oh, honest. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the typical, you know, the glamour shots, the uh, the stuff from the style guide that you see pop up in the in the newspaper and the magazines, whatever, like, yeah, okay, maybe that's for the regular people, but blast points, uh, we gotta dig a little deeper. We want to know about out-of-focus people in the corner behind a cup or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The real details. We'll dedicate a month 
to <laughs> the guy wearing a headband in yes. Java's Palace. <laughs> I love that guy. Well, when we do guy with a headband in Java's Palace month, we'll call you up. <laughs> Would you please thank you? Yeah, no, I'm standing by. I am. <laughs> so where do we even begin? Where did where did it begin for you? Like with the the aliens, the creatures, they're all fascinating. They're all beautiful. But the humans are the often overlooked essential piece of the cantina. And before we start digging extremely deep into the, the humans of the cantina, where how did you first get get hip to the to the humans of the cantina? Where where did this all begin? Oh gosh. I mean, I'm you know, there's there's the obvious one, uh, you know, of course, is the bartender. So growing up as a kid, you know, in my mind, it's a bar full of aliens and this one rough, rough looking dude, you know, tending bar. <laughs> when you start digging into this scene, you start to realize that, that uh, especially when you get into the wide shots, that the humans actually outnumber the aliens like by a lot. And it's really it it became a fascination after we had uh, Pablo and I, uh, Pablo Hidalgo and I, you know, do these these cantina panels at uh, conventions and stuff. And uh, we really explored the heck out of the aliens. It's amazing because we still keep discovering stuff every time we do one of these. I could not be happier about that. Like, I can't believe this scene is like the scene that keeps on giving. And we just continually are digging up new photos and digging up new information and finding out who played who or who's in the background of a shot or where a mask came from or who made something. Like, this is stuff that I have wondered about my entire life. And it's so cool that it's not over. You know what I mean? Like it's it's great when you have a quest that that and you you can say it's complete. I feel like this is a quest that will just never end. And the humans just opened this whole this door to a whole other place in this bar that we thought we had explored so well. And then all of a sudden we realized like, oh man, there's there's a lot of people in here we could probably look at. <laughs> um and it turned out, I, you know, I wasn't sure how interesting they would be. And I wasn't sure how interesting they'd be to audiences when we talked about it. Like, okay, to me, sure. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of a dork about this. So I thought, you know, <laughs> maybe other people won't. But it's, I'm always just so happy that other people out there are as enamored with this as we are. And, you know, are anxious to dig into this and even sometimes help us out in finding out who these people are, where they came from, why they're there, and just helping us flesh out the details of this scene even further, which is, it's, like I said, it is the scene that keeps on giving. Um, I love it. I feel like it's a situation where when, you, when you've watched Star Wars, as many times as we all have, eventually when you get to the cantina part, your eye just starts going to some of the weird humans in there. Like after a while you stop, you know, it's like Hammerhead. Yeah, Hammerhead's great. But I think about Hammerhead every day all the time. But what about that guy? You know, like I, I remember when the special edition came out. And the part when they first come in through the door, and I, I, I like hadn't seen the original on the big screen in you know twenty years or whatever. And there's that one guy like right in the bottom of the frame, and he's got kind of dark hair and like, 
And for, I remember sitting in the theater, I remember thinking that looked like Oliver Stone, which is a weird thing yeah, to think does of. a little bit. Well, <laughs> funny enough, his name, if I'm not mistaken, that's George Oliver. So, you know, Oliver Stone, not far off. Uh, I, I <laughs> whoa, literally... Whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, where did uh, where did we go here? I'm just I'm looking at. I want to make sure I'm not uh, not just making this up. He's the name. Yep, George Oliver. That's him. I I just called him. I literally in my notes that guy was listed as grumpy guy. That was just because he's always just sitting there with this frown on his face. They they probably he had to keep his droids outside too, probably. So right, and then he's like, <laughs> oh, this guy's coming in with his droids. I had to park mine outside. Oh, what the hell? This place yeah. sucks. We uh, we often do a gag where we were we 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 do this thing where we show the people in the movie and then we show them just like as a person. So we got from Lucasfilm, we got a lot of their headshots, and they weren't like the headshots that they gave Lucasfilm. There was something. It looks like they were stuff that the casting director must have taken of them. So they're they almost look. Uh, we call them mug shots because it's literally it's like okay face to front, okay turn left. Okay, turn right. You know, like it's it's they're straight up mugshots. And most of these guys, <laughs> Brian Lewis is one of the sculptors with us. He's like, he looks at the bartender. All right, I'm gonna go back a minute to the bartender. I okay. used to look at the bartender. I sculpted a, a bust of the bartender once years and years ago. I had a couple days between projects, and I was like, I just wanted a palate cleanser, so I was gonna sculpt a Cantina Alien real quick. I had like a day to sculpt it, a day to mold, and then paint and. It was just for me, just for fun. And I was like, why don't I do the bartender? Like, nobody's ever done that. And I only had a couple of reference pictures of him at the time. And I always looked at him and I'm like, okay, here's this guy, big mashed potato, fake nose, you know, terrible fake eye bags under his eyes, twisted lip, all this stuff. I'm sculpting this thing and just almost laughing at the these terrible appliances on him. And then we see his, his mugshot and it's like, nope, that's him. Wow. You know, like, there you go. And it's just, it's, it's impressive. And, you know, that's when you call the ugly agency, that's what you get. (laughs) So I think that leads us to our next thing. So the UK shoot, they're doing the cantina. That was first. They, they've, they've got some mass, but they, they want to populate it probably with people. What what was what was the scenario there? How did that go down? How does someone populate a space cantina with citizens of Tatooine? Right. Well, they had two different sort of agencies for extras that they used, but the main one in this scene was literally called the Ugly Agency. And they did have a sister agency called the Pretty Agency, so it was the Pretty Ugly Agency. Via the Pretty Agency, they actually got a few people for the cantina scene, uh, the Tonica twins to be specific, although they're not twins, nor are they – I don't even know if they're sisters. I can't follow it. All I know is they're two different women that don't look anything alike. Uh, so from the Ugly Agency, though, you, you get some real interesting characters that came through, and uh, certainly the bartender is – you know. The head honcho of that crew, <laughs> the fellow who plays uh, Dr. Evazon, Alfie Curtis, also came out of the Ugly Agency, um, and we've got you know not just the pictures that Lucasfilm uh, took, but on some of these guys, we've even got their Ugly Agency like their page in the Ugly Agency calendar or uh, calendar <laughs> catalog. <laughs> if only oh, there was an Ugly God, Agency calendar. Totally be an Ugly Agency catalog with a calendar with just these guys. Celebration Anaheim in the store. Can we have a 
ugly humans of the cantina calendar. Yeah, if only we knew someone who has a company that makes stuff. <laughs> right. I'll, ha- I'll have to see if I can talk to somebody. I don't know. But yeah, so you know, Alfie Curtis is one of those ones where you know, seeing him outside of the makeup is interesting because obviously his nose is covered, his upper lip is covered, half his face is covered, half his eyebrow is covered, and, and one eye is completely covered by the makeup. But when you see his face, his eyes are on like two different planes. Like one is way up and one is way down. Like it's almost weird that they covered his eye because it is so unusual looking to start with. Um, and his his ugly agency spread is one page of him doing like a, a, a Stan Laurel kind of smile, closed lip like, you know, <laughs> sorry, Ollie kind of smile. Uh, with big bug eyes. And then the other side is him in like the most classic, like gangster suit and with his thumbs tucked into the vest and just putting a mug on, like he's, he's here to break someone's thumbs, you know? Do you think they, they put the makeup on him to make him look more normal? Maybe they, people thought he would, that they were like, no one's going to believe this is a real person. We better put some makeup on him. We're going to have to do something here. Yeah. It's kind (laughs) of like the bartender. Actually, it's funny. So when you look at the, early test makeup of the bartender uh, because the the close-up shot of the bartender that you usually see wasn't his final appearance on screen. They added a lip appliance to his upper lip and he had a, a, like a hair lip and a big scar, uh, but they added something to kind of accentuate it and they wound up just removing that in the movie because it's like, like, what are you doing? Like, the guy's there. Like, leave it alone. You know, you don't go in and, and draw a mustache on the Mona Lisa. It's done. You know, this, <laughs> this guy is perfection. Why are you messing with this? Where did these people, where did the, the, the people of the ugly agency, how were they discovered? Like, you know, you hear the stories like, I was, somebody came up to me and said, you're beautiful. Do you want to be a model? Like, did someone go up to someone in the UK and say, you're ugly. Do you want to join the ugly agency? I feel like that's a way that somebody got punched a lot. You know? <laughs> like, because you know you're finding these people in a pub where they've had a few already, a couple pints or whatever. And you you just know that's how these guys are discovered, you know, in a bar fight somewhere or you know, in the, in a dark recess of some pub, and 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 I, <laughs> I could just see, it's got to be some little meek guy coming up to these people and asking too. You know, who else came from the ugly agency? Ron Tar was one of them. I love. I feel like Ron Tar is just already a Star Wars name. Yeah. You know, it's like Ron Tar. So he's he is the guy in in Willow. He's the one who discovers that Val Kilmer isn't a woman in the in the scene where he's trying to. Oh <laughs> yeah, okay. So big, big guy, burly guy, lots of hair, giant beard, you know. And his spread in the Ugly Agency, he's wearing a vest but no shirt. Essentially, <laughs> either that or it's a sleeveless shirt that literally is unzipped to the navel, uh, and he's got a belt. That looks to be about five inches tall, and <laughs> I don't believe it's an ammo belt, but it kind of looks like one. Like he genuinely just looks like some sort of pirate or something like that. And I'm pretty sure technically he's listed as one of the pirates in the scene. So you know, there you go. But it's funny because you just, I just, it's 
I'm trying to picture this guy who's he's got to be six and a half feet tall or something too on top of it all. I, I'm I'm just trying to picture like how do you tell this guy? I, the only way that happens is he comes to the agency. Like there's no one going up to this guy and going like, hey. Yes. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you how ugly you are? <laughs> yeah, it's like your face is kind of tough to look at. I got a job for you, you know. Where is he in the in the cantina? Uh he resides next to uh Pablo and my uh nemesis. Uh so okay, so he's seen more prominently in the Job of the Hut sequence that was added back in for the special edition. By the way, have you guys ever have you ever like Talked about that scene at all in the origins of that that remake of the scene, like like a like the original Java, the human Java. Well, certainly the, the human Java, which I mean, there's a show in itself. Like, can yeah. we please? But no. So, um, <laughs> what's interesting is you know I, I it was always sort of portrayed, and maybe this is news to you guys, maybe it's not, but it was always sort of portrayed as if. It was, you know, always intended to be this stop motion character or something like that. And there's even the, the famous sketch where yeah. it's the thing drawn over. But if you look closely at that sketch, uh, that's clearly from after Return of the Jedi because Salacious Crumb is in it. And Salacious Crumb wasn't even <laughs> an inkling. He wasn't even designed for Jedi. That was just something Tony McVeigh came up with, I think, along the way. So... There's a bit of kind of revisionist history that goes on with that scene. And, and Pablo and I often kind of go back to that and, and try and figure out, you know, they wouldn't have shot it with a moving camera if they knew they were stop motioning something because they couldn't do that back then. They wouldn't have had them interacting if they thought it was going to be a, a stop motion puppet because you couldn't back then. So, uh, I mean, you know, you could with Dynamation, but that's another they would have shot it very differently. And so it's it's one of these things that we kind of figure, you know. That probably really was supposed to be Jabba. Uh, I, I, that's just the theory, but it feels like that was probably supposed to be it. And then sometime after Jedi, he started to toy with the idea of revisiting it. And obviously it, it weighed on him for a while. And as soon as the technology was there, he, he went and did it. I've always had my doubts because I've always wondered why human Jabba, why he's wearing such a big fur coat. And they put like that costume on him if they were just going to animate over him. You know, I've always kind of like, but I, I've never put that together because, yeah, I can think of that sketch and I can think of that little salacious crumb. And I think I just wanted to believe so hard that Star Wars would never lie to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, the reason I even brought up the scene, that's where you can see Ron Tar pretty, pretty prominently. Uh, there's him. There's the guy in the pointy hat. There's you know some other uh, Greedo slash Martian aliens kind of wandering about, uh, which they all shop at the same tailor. <laughs> but next to so Rontar in the Rontar in the cantina is way in the back left corner. Uh, he is in the horseshoe of the bar. He is at the far left corner of it right at the bar most of the time, and second from the end. And the person on the end is a fellow we call the guy behind the jug. Because every photograph we have of this person, he is either partially or fully obscured by a jug of some sort. It's incredible. It's like he's specifically ducking us. And it just it's one of those ones that drives 
drives me bananas. Like, how do we not have a picture of this guy? <laughs> uh. is, is, could the guy behind the jug be George Lucas? Is that possible? Is, it, is he wearing a flannel shirt at all? Wait a minute. Let me look at it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few theories. One is that it could be Fred Woods, who's, who's one of the one of the people that is listed in production documents as being one of the uglies. But we don't have a clear shot of him in the bar. You know, there's uh, Fred Woods, there's Salo uh, Gardner. Anthony Lang is another one that's supposed to be there, and we weren't able to see him in there. It's just one of these things, you know, we, every time we see that darn jug, it's just, come on. Salo's an interesting one because, oh, you know, a lot of people think of him as Terminal Man. So, or Trinto de Waba. I'm terrible with those names. So that's the sort of uh, skeletal looking veiny guy next to Hammerhead in a, in, in a hood, which, I mean, you guys could probably put together... If if Salo was listed among the uh, the humans of the cantina in the UK, you can probably put together why he wasn't uh, sitting next to Hammerhead. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. shot on a different continent six months later, you know, or right. more than six months. And so, yeah, for years, Salo actually autographed as Terminal Man, and he he only he recently passed away. But I mean, the the kind of neat thing is. Even though he was signing as Terminal Man for so long, and unfortunately, just he never played that character. Because of that, they actually had him play that character in The Force Awakens. So, ultimately, in Maz's castle. So, ultimately, he becomes the character he thought he was. And he was just, you know, what, what happened is, he was a young guy during Star Wars, young-ish. And by the time he starts signing as, as Terminal Man... He was old, and he looked like Terminal Man. So <laughs> he was like, oh, I was in the cantina, and they put some makeup on me. And someone must have said to him, oh, yeah, this must be you. And, you know, memory's a weird thing. And he probably just thought, like, oh, yeah, that must have been me. But someone, you know, wasn't aware that he was only on the U.K. set, and he was never, you know, never in the U.S. And and then, of course, Terminal Man is actually a rubber mask that Rick Baker made you know, in 1970-whatever, earlier than the film by far. And it was his version of Frankenstein. And that's why he called him Terminal Man, because he's got these little terminals on either side of his head for where the Frankenstein juice comes in, you know? Which, that's lightning, by the way. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Frankenstein juice? What the heck? Oh, my God, that's the next Frankenstein sequel. Anyway, um, (laughs) so, and it's just him, he's got... He's got like a, a juice bar. It's it's a oh no, it's like a food truck, but it's just for juice, and I, it's very trendy. I mean, I, I could see I would, this working. I would watch that. I'm right, for, it's, yeah, yeah. Right? it's coming to Disney Plus next year. Frankenstein juice. I'm ready. It's, it's him and his trials and tribulations with his food truck, and you know the Wolfman food truck pulls up next door, and then it's like the Frankenstein juice meets the Wolfman, you know, barbecue. Uh, what the heck were we talking about? Um, Terminal oh, Man. Terminal yeah, so so Terminal Man uh, was uh, actually, you know, shot many months later. It's a rubber mask. It's in a totally different country. And so sadly, uh, was not played by him. Um, it actually, 
uh, in all likelihood was Kim Falkenberg who played Terminal Man. And that's the other thing. When you see the wide shots, you can also see that Terminal Man is wearing women's clogs. Uh, so <laughs> unless that was, you know, what Salo wanted to do to dress the character up, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there are there's a couple of humans in the far left corner. So if you're looking at the bar, if you're Luke walking into the bar and you're looking at that horseshoe bar, we have better photos of the right side of the bar than the left. And there are two human characters in the far, far left corner. And if you watch the black and white footage of the, uh, of the scene, you can make these two guys out a little more. Um, one's in kind of a spacer jacket, the other's in a farmer's outfit or a Jedi outfit, depending on what era they no, Cause when Obi-Wan went into hiding, he just still wore his Jedi outfit. That makes sense. So anyway, uh, pet peeve. So, uh, but in this corner, I believe the shorter of the two guys is Salo. That's the closest we've come to seeing him. I've got Stuart Freeborn's original handwritten notes from the scene. And in there, he mentioned Salo and, you know, what type of makeup he was going to give him and stuff. And he's in some of the production documents and stuff. But so we know he's in there somewhere, but it's just amazing that with this thing, it's it's on film. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of photos from the scene that we're combing through. There's all these, you know, all of this information, and yet we there's still a bunch of people we just don't even have a clear picture of. Did anyone ever have the heart to tell poor Salo that's not you? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I that'd be a tough thing to do to an old guy who was making his living you know, sign and autographs. And he's, he's genuinely in the scene somewhere. We think, um, you know, he, he's, it's all signs point to him being in there, you know, but it's just, uh, yeah, he's even in John Mallow's notes, uh, uh among the, uh, the grubby humans and, and, uh, local, uh, local uglies and all of that. But yeah, I don't know that anyone ever told him. And, and it's the sort of thing that, we were hesitant to even bring it up at some of the panels because it's just like, yeah, you don't want to be mean. He's, he's, he's clearly, he's old and someone told him that was him. You know, like I, I, I felt bad more than I, uh, more than anything. I, I swear in the, the last Jedi documentary on the Blu-ray, there's a thing where they're doing like a costume fitting for Canto bite and he shows up with a photo from the cantina and he's like that's me gabe do you remember that i do remember that part but is was that who that was yeah that's him we're doing a casting day for um a, the casino scene it's going to be huge they're um very particular about the look and um, we've got models we've got people that are dancers because of their profile and how they can stand we've got very quirky people coming how are you? You're in the original Star Wars? With George yeah. Lucas. With George Lucas. And was, have you got your photos? That's, that's the famous bar scene here. In the can- is it the canteen? canteen, yeah. That's a bar scene that's itself. I met, some, I met some film stars in my time. Let's move on to some other, some other weirdos of the cantina, some other weird humans. Let's spin the wheel. Who who's up next? I got. Hold on. I got the. That was the wheel, by the way. I. Uh, it's like a game show. I got the smoker. How about him? Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, Roy State, 
uh, played the smoker. We did, we did find his, uh, his photos as well, I believe. So what's neat is, you know, in addition to this, we've got, we've got the, that sort of combination of Stewart's notes and these behind the scenes photos and stuff. I believe Roy, let's see here. So Roy's listed in Stewart's notes as getting teeth, uh, nose and general makeup. He also, so he's wearing that kind of cool uh, bureaucrat kind of outfit. Maybe, maybe it's a military outfit. It's a little tough to say. Uh, tough to say. He is wearing a very Star Wars belt with a big metal buckle, and he's carrying a Rebel blaster from the opening scene. One of the one of the Rebel fleet trooper guns. His makeup. Let's see here. Nick Maley said this is his first on-screen application. Actually. It's real. He's got real interesting eyes. His eyes are real. They're big and round and they're, they're real tight together. And he's got super curly hair. And when you see him out of the makeup, it really is so weird to see these guys out of the makeup because it's it's just tough to grasp how much of them is coming through on some of these. But, yeah, I, it's there's another. I mean, you know, if you if you want to talk about a mashed potato nose, yeah, that's 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 there. And and definitely just a bunch of big crooked teeth on him. His eyes are straight up. That's that's Roy's eyes. He's got you know real strong rounded lids, big big irises. All of that's him. And he's just tall and lanky. I think he was a dance teacher or something too. I remember reading. So wait, he's not the only smoker in the cantina. So and I don't mean like the Tonica sisters because they're also they also have a hookah in the one scene. But when you look at the wide shot. So Luke walks in, they do the, they cut to the close-ups first, which I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things in almost any film, Spielberg does this all the time, is to cut to a new location and instead of giving us the establishing shot first, give us a round of close-ups and then give us the wide shot. To me, it's like such a cool way to introduce the space, but that's another thing. They cut back to Luke at some point and you see him looking across and then we get his sort of point POV kind of shot where he's looking left to right across the bar. Look at the left side of the bar right on the front corner. George Stock. <laughs> George Stock plays Yurka Mig. He's got a blonde mullet and he's got a really bitchin space jacket that's black with some light blue stripes on it. He is smoking in the final cut of the movie, like literally has a cigarette in his right hand, just down at his side. And just nobody caught it. Yeah. He's what he's sitting next to a little, uh, he's next to a crocker. Yeah. You guys are going through the scene now, aren't you? I've got a photo of, uh, of the cantina of the, of that exact shot you're describing on my phone here. And yeah, he's got his collar popped. He's super cool, super chill, leaning up against the bar. So, so what's uh, what's this guy? What's George's story? What do we know about him aside from his his, his sweet sweet hair? Right. Yeah, and his his uh, his his love of uh, of, of death sticks. Um, <laughs> I I don't know a ton about him. I do know he shows up later in the movie. I don't know how clearly he shows up in the final cut. I know I've I've seen him in behind the scenes photos a little more. He is in the rebel ceremony scene as one of the generals uh, standing on the, the dais there. Really? Yeah. He's way off to the right. If I'm not mistaken. Are there any other of the 
cantina people that you know of that end up in other scenes in the movie? So George Stock uh, shows up there. Uh, there's a few guys who show up as rebel technicians later. Let's see here. Anthony Lang uh, shows up in a sort of uh, silver or light gray jumpsuit in the rebel briefing scene. He also turns up as one of the emperor's advisors, uh, the, the imperial dignitary that the figure was based on, actually. I, I can't find him in the cantina yet, but he's listed as in there. So he's someone I figure we'll see at some point. Francis Batsoni, who uh, is a shorter fellow with scrubby black hair, is standing near the Tonica sisters most of the time. Uh, he also shows up on the other side in the background when Luke walks in. But uh, he's one of the uh, Emperor's advisors in Return of the Jedi. And he's the one with this really tall rounded hat like you've yes. got all the other guys have these cool purple hats with trim on it and then he's there just like with this blue hat with this really tall yeah. oblong head it's just so strange bill risley is a guy that we we actually thought this might have been anthony lang he shows up in some of the behind the scenes footage and you get a fair look at his face and he looks a lot like anthony lang uh, but we saw some other footage that showed him next to people that made it seem like he wasn't tall enough to be laying. And uh, sure enough, we looked later in the briefing scene and uh, Leia Mang from uh, Nerf Herders Anonymous dot net. I believe it's a dot net. Uh, either way, everybody should look up Nerf Herders Anonymous. It's amazing. She digs in and finds a lot of these people. She's helped us out a number of times. Uh, she actually spotted Bill and said, you know what, I think this is Bill Risley and, and found us a picture of him from another movie where he's actually standing at the perfect angle, making the same face and everything as the one good shot we had of him. And I was like, that's son of a gun, <laughs> you know, sorry, Anthony Lang. But uh, we did find him in the briefing scene. He's about a row and a half. Uh, I think he's two rows in front of Luke. Peter Roy, I believe is his name, who is uh, one of the spacers, not not the yellow one. He's one of the, the silver ones. Oh, no, actually, wait a minute. Which His his one actually has a name. So he's Dan's Borwin, or I, I believe. Um, he's <laughs> one, the only spacer, I think, to have an actual like character name. And he's wearing a helmet that, it's it's from an episode of The Outer Limits that William Shatner was in. <laughs> um, but so uh, Peter Roy is one of the rebel techs in the rebel base uh, at the end of the movie as well. And it was actually one of those shots that helped us ID him, which was pretty neat. Now, the, these spacers, they're, they're from the UK shoot, right? Yep. They're just guys basically wearing astronaut outfits. I always loved that. I, you know, it's just like because because you have no idea what's under there or like why they're in it. You know, maybe it's an allergy thing. I, you know, like now this place serves peanuts. I got to put my suit on. Right. You know. Oh, by the way, before I forget it, uh, Salo Gardner also is a stormtrooper later in the movie. Uh, Francis Alfred Basil Tomlin who has the greatest name in the world, who plays Bo Sheck, uh, can be seen later as a stormtrooper, as can Fred Woods, who we think might be our guy behind the jug. Uh, so there's a few more for that. Uh, but yeah, no, the spacesuits are awesome. And what's neat is, and I, I, it's really interesting that this happened, but in the UK, it seems like 
the three out of the four spacers, one of them is wearing the Bosque spacesuit, which is a Windak pressure pressure suit seen in uh, First Man in the Moon and some Doctor Who episodes and stuff like that. The other three suits, two of them are straight up spacesuits that are from a Jerry Lewis movie called Way Way Out. Uh, they were reused <laughs> later in a movie called uh, in In Like Flint. Uh, one of them, I think there were more in, than one in like Flint movie, but uh, they were used in an episode of Get Smart. And eventually, the same style of spacesuit shows up in Escape from the Planet of the Apes when the apes land on Earth during the the, the ape movie that has the most Ricardo Montalban. Um, <laughs> yes. So, which you know might make it the best ape movie. I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, <laughs> if that's how you measure. But the, so I, I you know the, what's interesting is so those suits show up in the UK shoot, shoot and most of them are um, we're fairly sure they're all silver, which indicates they haven't been modified at all. Then one of them shows up in the US shoot on one of the duros, the duros that John Berg plays. But that suit is painted white. Uh, they all started as silver. And the white ones were the ones that had been reused in uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. So it would make sense because all the other Planet of the Apes stuff was with Western. And it, there's other apes wardrobe in the cantina in the, the U.S. shoot. So it makes sense that the stuff they would have in the U.S. one would be ape related and that the stuff they had in the U.K. were just these are just spacesuits from rental. You know, this was they went through and just said, like, OK, what do we got? You know, they found two Windax suits, one for uh, Francis Alfred Basil Tomlin and uh, one for the yellow spacer cantina dude. And then. You know, these three silver suits and probably have no idea what they were ever used for before. You know, they were just going through the rack and like, these look good. You know, we don't even have to do anything. Give me that helmet. So you mean this helmet that was used in the Outer Limits by William Shatner? What? <laughs> Nothing. Never mind. Here, take it. You know? <laughs> we need more just silver and white, just astronaut suits in the new films. <laughs> Yeah, just random, just like you're just an astronaut. Because why not? It's it's where astronauts, these people all are are allegedly spacers, you know? Like, they're all the best pilots can be found there. Like, they, there's got to be a bunch of guys just in astronaut gear. Yeah. So good. What's crazy, too, is that Boshek's costume, from at least, like, the waist up, like, at a glance, it doesn't look too far off from like like a rebel pilot uniform. It's just like what what space pilots in Star Wars kind of wear. Yep, yeah, he looks like he could be an A wing fighter pilot or something, you know. And what's funny about him? So, and that's just one of those Windak pressure suits. And he's got the same kind of helmet as the yellow guy that that never takes his helmet off. The interesting thing about uh, Boshek is, you know, we had no idea who he was for the longest time. In fact. IMDb said that he was played by Anthony Lang for like a decade. And we all just sort of took it on faith until Pablo and I dug up these pictures of Anthony Lang. And speaking as a nasal American who has a very large schnoz, I can say Anthony Lang has a beak on him. Like this guy has a nose. So like we looked at the side view of him and we just went, there's no way this is Boshek. Um, and, you know, you put the two guys side by side and you look and you're going like, yep. Okay, you know, not him. So we, I believe it was one of the Orlando shows, if I'm not mistaken. That could have been Anaheim, but it was, it was one of the, the celebrations from years ago. We did a 
the, did the cantina panel and we said, you know, here's a weird thing. We don't know who played Bo Sheck. Like you get close-ups of this guy's, you can, this guy, you can see his face. It's weird that we don't know who played this guy out of nowhere. A month or so later, I get contacted by a fellow named Billy Jensen. His pitch is, Hey, uh, I have, I I'm, I'm, I'm an investigative reporter who has, found serial killers online <laughs> and it's just like and immediately you just go into the doc brown again with like he found me i don't know how but he found me you know <laughs> and it's, i mean uh nothing you know it's over goes, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you'll never catch me alive kappa and you know, and so he he starts off with this and he starts describing like one of the serial killers he caught and like it's horrible and i'm just going like Okay. And he's like, Oh, um, and I saw your panel and I want to help you find Bo Shack. Jeez, man, next time lead with that. You know, yeah. it's just it was really creepy. But uh he's he's a super nice guy and he's uh like a dog with a bone on this stuff. So he, you know, I started talking to him, we we shared notes and I I gave him whatever leads I had and you know, I I had a list going of people's names that were either in Stuart Freeborn's notes, John Molo's notes, production paperwork, or other sources, you know, were, were heard from other actors or things like that. And so I had this long list of people, it wasn't a very long list, but you know, maybe 10 people that were like, these are people that could be any of these. And so there were two approaches. You would either try and, you know, Find them in something else uh, where you could somehow identify them or try and find some sort of paperwork that tied them to a particular character. And the paperwork is nearly non-existent for the scene. So usually you are going through old Doctor Who episodes looking for someone like <laughs> Leia Mang found this guy, Bob Watson. We used to call him eyebrows because it's, that was his distinguishing features. It's really strong eyebrows. And you can see him behind Luke when Luke is walking up to the bar and in that back right corner hanging out after the fight and stuff like that. But you only ever see the top of his head and his eyebrows for the most part. In my list was a fellow named Bob Watson, and she found that Bob Watson was in an episode of Doctor Who. And so she went, found the episode, but he's, of course, not a credited big name character. He's one of these background guys. And found him as like one of these like guards or something in the scene, then had to go and say there's four guards and this guy is definitely the one from the cantina. But is that Bob Watson or is it somebody else? And then she had to go through and rule out the other three, you know, oh, um, it's detective work. But what happened with Billy was he you know, so he did a bunch of that kind of detective work with without a lot of luck and then eventually uh, tried, you know, like the signpost approach. And just basically started just posting on forums and things like that, saying, hey, I'm looking for this guy. Anybody can help me. And eventually somebody said, hey, yeah, that's my dad. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he played him. And they sent him. He's, he, so he said, oh, do you have a photo? And they sent him this amazing headshot of Francis Alfred Basil Tomlin. Um, <laughs> hopefully I'm saying that in the right order. There's so many names, but it's such, it's like the most awesome name ever. And the name I had was just Basil Tomlin. So to, to even flesh it out further and get the rest of that name is just fantastic. But there he is. He's got the people's eyebrow going, the big sideburns and everything. And he's wearing a shirt that has 
what looks to be they're not i don't i don't know that it's the animated beatles but it looks like a, a knockoff of the animated like it's just a drummer and a guitarist or maybe a bassist or something but it definitely has a little bit of that like you know yellow submarine beatles vibe to it and it's you know just a massive collar on this shirt he he was Boshek in real life too that's right right (laughs) (laughs) the original star wars it possibly has the the greatest collection of sideburns ever put on film is it bastard Boshek? who's got the best sideburns in a new hope I hate to say this. I mean, I'm a cantina guy. I think Bast wins just for volume, like just for square footage. I think Bast okay. wins. All right. All right. But Boshek's he's a strong contender for shape. I'm going Boshek. But okay. if I'm going square footage, it's Bast all the way. That makes sense. That makes total sense. <laughs> I feel like I've bullied you into a position here. I apologize. <laughs> You can't argue with uh, with science there, so I think <laughs> you've done the calculations. So we we got to go with you, right? Yeah, I've, I've got to work out. <laughs> You know, one of my favorite humans in here. I'm gonna. I'm going. I'm pulling a left turn now. We're pulling away from the ugly side of this. Like I feel like Boshek's a good transition for that too. I, I would never. I would never say Boshek is an ugly person. He's he's not an ugly agency guy. But uh, so Han's girlfriend in the scene who got cut out in the final draft, known just as Jenny. Have okay. So you guys have watched. I assume have watched the black and white rough cut of the Cantina scene. Yes, we we did we did an, we did an episode on the fabled lost cut. So did you catch what happens? The last thing that happens in that scene with Jenny. This sounds like a no. Doesn't Han kind of tell her to kind of get out of there or something? And she that's she, that's the first thing that happens with her. I'm talking about the last thing. I mean, I could even wait for you guys to call it up and watch. No, but okay. So when you watch the scene, Han gets up. He's sorry for the mess. Flicks the coin over to the bartender. By the way, what does that coin look like? I want one. I don't even know what it looks like, but I really want to know. Walks out, and I'm always distracted by the the Mosep guy, the walrus on the far right of the screen, who can't see out of his mask well enough to hold his cup. And it's just like, oh, what is this? Is this the bottom? Is this the top? I don't know how cups work. On my planet, cups are different. If you look to the left, and it only really works in the rough cut where they hold the shot longer. She comes out of the, the, the darkness on the left, looks at Han walking out, and then sadly turns around and walks away. Like, oh, I, I guess we're not going for that drink? All right. You know, and just leaves. It's the saddest thing that ever happened in any Star War. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> That's so low. He's always, oh. He's always alone, let's say. I wish there was a synonym <laughs> for it. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> She should have knew what she was getting into. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right there in the name, sweetheart. Sorry. So, yes, the next time you watch that rough cut, you will see poor poor Jenny Cresswell, the actress, walking out and sadly walking away. I just love that someone blocked that out. George blocked this out and said, yeah, do this. Like, oh, heartbreaking. So 
let's let's spin the human wheel. So let's see who let's see who's next. Okay, why don't you guys pull one out? Okay, so what do we know about someone I've always been fascinated by? <laughs> the guy in the human the guy in the human job apart. He's got the like the sock on the top of his head and goggles up there. He's got a sweet mustache. He's got a, a puffy shirt with a vest over it. Is there any information about that guy? Yes. So, yeah, yeah. He's got like kind of the knit cap, the cool goggles. He's got some good sideburns growing through there, too. His might be bigger if you took that if you took that hat off. He might he might win the side. Yeah. And he's got the, he's got the mustache just to kind of push the uh, square footage over the over the top, too. It's like we're counting that, right? Oh, man. You know what? Similar look to him is a guy. I always called him Mr. Gazzo because it, he looks like Gazzo from Rocky. He's at, I believe he's at the same table or if, or right next to the grumpy guy in the front. Um, but you only really see him, I think, in the reverse shot. But he's wearing either a beige or yellow jacket that looks like Luke's ceremonial jacket. He's got a mustache. He's got some sideburns. He just looks like Gazzo to me, and I don't know why. And I, I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name, sadly. Oh, gosh. He's in Maniac. He's Joe Spinell. We talked about him when we were doing the... Uh... When we did the yeah with Richard Pryor yeah the Pryor thing we, yeah, the, we drifted over to Joe Spinell yeah, it, always, yeah. it always circles around <laughs> yeah him. that always yeah it happens so, yes one of the finest of our age uh, who are we talking oh yeah Tommy Weldon I honestly I don't know a lot Tommy Weldon uh, Ted Western's another one and it's oddly enough the reason I don't know a ton about them is because they were actually identified a while ago. So you don't have that that whole research going, you know. It's it's almost like, you know, what's that thing where you know the chase is the fun part for people, oh, yeah. and like once you've caught it, you're just like, well, right. now what? Like, oh, all right, I got his name on my list. I guess I don't have to do anything for him. So I, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to we'll have to take a closer look at that guy and find out if his sideburns really are worthy. <laughs> I feel like all those guys, like the the job the Jabba's goons that are in uh, Dock and Bay ninety four. I remember, uh, especially in ninety seven, seeing the special edition on the big screen. It was like, oh, like look at this digital Jabba. That's crazy. But then also, my eyes were just like, and look at this guy with a knit hat and goggles on, <laughs> or the pointy hat guy, uh, Bo- Boello. I think is how. Like, I think he's got a canon name now. I, he's another one. Like, I feel like we should be able to identify, you know, he's, we get a clear enough look at that guy's face, but what's neat about him is he's holding walrus man's blaster in the, uh, in the docking bay scene. My fan canon is that like, you know, walrus man gets his arm chopped off him and Evazan, you know, get chased out of the bar and he just kind of like looks around like nobody's looking. All right. Picks up walrus man's <laughs> blaster. And, you know, but he's, of course, holding the Walrus Man blaster that was from the England shoot. So actually, Walrus Man's blaster, not what wound up on the floor, which was a chopped down version of Dr. Evazon's blaster. But whatever. I know far too much about this scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gabe, it's, it's, it's your time to spin the wheel. How about the guy with, like, baseball cap kind of hat guy? Baseball cap the hat? The hat with the little brim on the front? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a great one. So the the snitch, if we're thinking of the same guy, front front of the bar to the to the right, if you were just looking at the bar, sort of near the between the smoker and Doctor Evazan's crew of mayhem. Yes. Um. So that's stunt coordinator Peter Diamond playing that role, which is awesome. 
in its own right, but uh, he is the first snitch. You know, people, I, I've always heard the snitch is the name for uh, Long Snoot, um, Gorindon, I guess they call him. This guy is really the first snitch because he sees the fight and he's the one that walks out and goes and talks to the stormtroopers. I had never, in watching that movie for years and years, I had never put together that that was the same guy from the bar. And it wasn't until I watched the black and white footage where they actually follow him sort of away from the bar and then show him coming out of the bar and calling the stormtroopers over. I never put together in my mind that he was the one that alerted the stormtroopers to Obi-Wan's presence in, in the bar. And you know, that's why they show up. I knew there was a guy snitching on them outside, but it just, in my mind, I never connected that to the guy in the bar that we saw before the edit. I know it's dumb, but never did. Weird. I've never thought of that either. It's blowing my mind right now. Gabe, have you? Well, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. You guys were so quiet. I was getting more. I'm like, oh, man, I'm an idiot. They think I'm dumb. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I remember in the black and white one seeing, like, realizing, oh, yeah, there's a guy walking out. But, yeah, putting those two characters together, I'm too busy looking at the do-back. <laughs> I, can't, I can't look away when there's a do-back. So. Oh, my God. And how cool is it? that the original classic Dubak is still canon because they didn't fix it in that shot. I'm, I'm putting fix in air quotes because <laughs> uh, they didn't change the Dubak to the digital one for that shot. No, not that shot. Sorry. It's the, you'll have to sell your speeder shot when they come out of the bar. Well, whatever. One of the two shots where they come out of the bar, you still see the classic Dubak and it makes me happy. It's like a baby Dubak. Tom, you spin the wheel one more time. Give it, give let's let's get let's get another treat here. Who do we got? Who do we got? Uh, oh, I'm gonna do. I'm going Jeffrey Moon. Jeffrey Moon is now a. Can I just uh, say thank you, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. <laughs> you picked the right one. Um, so if people want to search for who we're talking about, and of course I can't think of how to spell it now. I believe the name he eventually got was Damano Deomeli. Let's see here. Yep. Damano Deomeli. And if you look him up on Wikipedia, uh, you should find his information. So for years, this poor fella was listed as Little Aunt Baru everywhere. <laughs> now, when you look in the notes that John Molo made of the scene, there is a note for a character called little Amperu, uh, to be played by Gilda Cohen, who is, was at the time, the real life girlfriend of Marcus Powell, who's known as, and I'm just quoting here, the flash Gordon midget in the cantina. Uh, so he's one of the humans as well. Um, and Marcus Powell we very recently discovered I got a text from Pablo Hidalgo at like 11 p.m. on uh, one of the nights of, of the Salt Lake fan uh, fan X uh, convention. And it just says, oh, my God, I think Marcus Powell is the little German. So <laughs> if anyone knows the movie Top Secret, yeah. there is a scene in a restaurant where someone says, I know a little German. He's right <laughs> over there. Yeah. And. A little fella pops up onto a stool and waves. That's Marcus yes. Powell, who is also in the cantina, which is just amazing. Perhaps my lecture was unwarranted. I am grateful for what you did back there. Well, you know, I think you'd really like America. We've got the Liberty Bell, Disneyland on both coasts. It's happening. Gay cook and oven yum. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I really don't know any German. That's all right. I know a little German. He's sitting over there. Uh, we also realize that Colin Skeeping plays uh, is a character in the background of the Cantina, one of the humans, and he is also in in that movie, and he's one of the French Resistance. And I, I don't remember if he's like Souffle or one of like they all had dopey names. Yeah, I can't remember which name was his, but he's one of them. Introduce the American to the men. Very well. This is Chevalier. Montage, détente, avant-garde, and déjà vu. Have we not met before, monsieur? I don't think so. Over there, croissant, soufflé, escargot, and chocolate mousse. <laughs> By the way, déjà vu is in Downton Abbey. He's Carson the butler. <laughs> I literally heard your mind get blown there. That was amazing. I couldn't believe it. Carson from Downton Abbey is the one, you know, who sits there like, each of us in our own way. And he, you know, then he sneezes into his handkerchief and freaks out. But no, it's such a good movie. The Star Wars top secret connections is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Well, and isn't the plot to top secret in Rogue One the same story, too? If you if you look into if you think about it enough, wow! <laughs> and now you heard that sound effect of my mind being blown. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, that's awesome. Oh gosh, and it all loops back together on that life cast that Stuart took yeah. of Peter too. Like it's just yeah. it's this big circle. Oh, it's so it, good. It's like poetry. It rhymes. That's right. Yes, I've heard that somewhere. So Jeff Moon, for years, was called Little Aunt Beru, and everybody thought he was Gilda Cohen. He's not Gilda Cohen. He's he's Jeff Moon, uh, who is an actor from The Ugly Agency, and his card for The Ugly Agency has uh, a wonderful picture of him uh, playing with a monkey, if I remember right, and uh, his snapshots for... For that Lucasfilm took, he's wearing an embroidered jean jacket with Miami, Florida, like embroidered on it and a big sun and like a, a bird for some reason, like a toucan. And then like a, a, a palm tree, which I guess that makes sense. The toucan, I'm not sure, but it's amazing. And it's he's another one where he's just he's got very unusual features, no chin. He was he was not a real tall guy. Stuart Freeborn added a little nose tip to him. And that was really all that they did. And, um, you know, so for years, this poor guy was just always listed as Gilda Cohen. And uh, there was nothing that made me happier than when we got to name the character and go also, oh, by the way, that's not Gilda Cohen. This is Jeffrey Moon for for crying out loud. So, yeah, Uh. a lot of a lot of humans in there. We didn't even. I, we probably only talked about maybe half of them. Well, so how many? How many humans are left that you just have not been able to identify? Like it's probably under ten at this point that are ones that we're sort of aware of, but haven't been able to put an actor's name to. And most of them are ones that aren't even named characters yet. 
Um, and what's nice is we've been we've been going through and naming like one or two characters at a time every time we do one of these panels at Celebration. And that to me is just the coolest freaking thing we get to do. It's like we're putting our little stamp on Star Wars and we're doing it for somebody who's in the audience, which is just like, I kind of want to be in the audience. I want to win this, <laughs> you know, like uh, but uh, it's uh, I think we're down to there's there's probably 20 or so that don't have names yet. And I I believe we're right at about 10 that we, you know, we can see them who we know they're in there. Some of them, we can even see their face real well. Uh, and then other ones, they're hiding behind jugs. Just wait when you finally figure out who that guy is, you're going to find out he doesn't have a bottom to his face. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like those decraniated people or whatever right, they call it. Right. Like yeah. he's going to be a, a dejolated guy. It's right. Like no jaw, nothing from the, the nose down. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Yeah, you're so close. Yeah, it's like, or, you know, really awesome makeup, Stuart, but damn it, come on. How did how did the name Little Aunt Baru even come up? I mean, he doesn't even look like Aunt Baru. No, but so there is listed in, and so Gilda Cohen wound up playing Cabe for a day, and the story is she was uncomfortable in the mask, and so... Oh, is it Rusty Goff is supposedly the guy that took over uh, for the next day of shooting or something or the next two days. She is listed in John Mollo's notes in that, you know, there's that one really awesome page of sketches by John Mollo with all the Cantina characters um, or most of them. And in the margins is, you know, there's the note about the stilt walker. There's the note about. Uh, Little Amperu both appear in that margin as well. And so somewhere in there, there's a note that just says Little Amperu, Gilda Cohen. So that was to be her character. And I don't know if it was just related to the type of outfit she was wearing or what, you know, unless they were planning. Oh, gosh. Well, no, it's in the cantina, so it wouldn't be. But I was just thinking like, oh, would it be amazing if they were planning to do some of those like long distance shots where you have a smaller person, like oh. a forced perspective <laughs> and they needed a little Aunt Baru for something. <laughs> but uh, but no, a, you know, uh, intended to be in the cantina as a human called little Aunt Baru, you know, by the crew. Uh, other than that, no idea. Tom, what have, what have you got going on? Aside from the the never ending quest of the the humans of the Cantino, what, what's what's going on? Regal Robot, Tom Spina Designs. What have you got going on on that end? We have so much going on. Um, it's it's amazing that I even have the time to to research any of this stuff these days. But uh, yeah, we Tom Spina Designs is just packed to the gills at the moment with restoration work. And and some really cool custom mannequin stuff. It's not stuff I can necessarily share just yet. Uh, we also recently wrapped up some stuff that by the time this airs should be public. But just in case, I'm not going to say. But it's some really cool, big Star Wars related foam sculpture stuff uh, for some store displays that I'm very excited about. It's super fun. Um, and then on the Regal side, we are gearing up for San Diego Comic-Con, uh, where we will be, um, at a booth, uh, in the Lucasfilm pavilion. Um, so it's a, a relatively small pavilion, so you should be able to find us in there pretty easily. 
We are also gearing up to produce our 50 pieces limited edition uh, Chewbacca bust, which sold out in a week when we put those up for sale. And now uh, we've we've had the fur on order. The fur comes in in a few weeks. We've been uh, we've started on making the heads and things like that. And then it's going to be you know kind of this big crew up and uh, and a big push to get them all haired up in about a month. Uh, and so that's going to be most of August for us. But we're also building a bunch of life-size statues of Chewbacca uh, because people saw that one we made at, for uh, a custom client of ours at Celebration. And uh, I'm really happy people, people responded well to it. And a bunch of folks asked us to build them one. And the really cool thing about the Chewbaccas is we're doing each one of them as a custom piece. So it's not like hey, buy this Chewbacca statue and they all look exactly the same. It's more like, okay, well, do you want them to have a bowcaster? Do you want them to have the first movie-style bandolier, the Empire bandolier? Do you want the Return of the Jedi bowcaster, which is a little different? You know, Different heads, things like that. So we're doing everything from ones that have leather gloves like they, Peter wore in Empire and Jedi to ones that have human fingers like Peter had in A New Hope or the monster hands like he had in some of the sequels. Uh, we're doing things like a life-size statue that has two different heads that you can switch. So if you want him to have an open mouth versus a closed mouth, you can do a swap out head like you would do on an action figure. Uh, different poses, of, you know, sort of with the gun up and kind of like ready to shoot. One where he's got my favorite pose. He's, you know, his feet are about a shoulder width apart. The gun is, he's got the bowcaster, but it's down and pointed away and his, his mouth is mostly closed. And he's, it's when he's got Hans back in the docking bay 94 scene, he's just, he's in the background, the gun's ready, but he's not like in crazy firing mode and roaring or anything like that. It's just really neat to put a personal touch on each of these and really tailor them to what people like. And that to me is like just the coolest thing we get to do. Is anyone having you do a life-size Mala yet? <laughs> <laughs> yet is always the key question. Okay. My door is always open to talk about that. <laughs> um, we've got a bunch of other stuff in the works that we did talk about at Celebration. We're, we're working on a one-to-one -one reproduction of the Rancor puppet. It won't be a functioning puppet. It's just a, a reproduction of it, but that... Still has a ways to go, but a lot of, I mean, we got to scan the real puppet from the archives. We've got to spend a ton of time with that puppet over over the years. So it's it's really something that I'm looking forward to. Did you, like, take the puppet out on a date? Like, we got the puppet for the weekend. Let's take it to the movies. Let's go out to dinner with it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what else? We are, we are working on a bust of CZ3, which is one of my favorite droids. Um, and that came about, so people are like, oh, okay. So Chewbacca, like one of the most known characters and it's like, and your follow-up CZ3, you know, <laughs> random droid shambling around most icily and turning up in the background of the sand crawler, maybe Jabba's palace and some other stuff. But I've just always loved that droid. And we had someone that wanted one custom when you're doing the custom stuff, you know, if you're somebody who's getting a one-off, you pay a lot of the cost to develop that. You've got to make the sculpts and the molds and everything. And I looked at it and I said, look, it's not a, a main character, but I'm pretty confident we can sell, you know, 15 or 20 of these out to collectors out there because there are a lot of people that love these obscure characters the way we do. 
And these are characters that haven't been put out by other licensees a ton of times over the years or anything like that, if at all. Uh, so I thought like, you know what? Okay. You, you want to do this. Let me price it more as a, 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 and what they would call like an inline item. And let's do a limited edition of this. And let's, let's not make this just a one-off because there's other people that are going to want this. So that's, that's what got us sparked to start CZ three. And we did get, get to scan that real prop in the archives too, which is awesome. We are working on the towel holder version of our famed gargoyle magnet. So you will be able to hang this on your wall, maybe, you know, for your kitchen or bathroom or wherever you want to hang a towel or whatever else you can hang on the ring. It'll probably be about three or four inches tall, four or five inches deep. Um, but it's uh, it's our same sculpt from the, the the mini one. But we're we're sharpening up the details, making it a little bigger, tie, dialing it in, making it a little more accurate, too. And uh, it'll have a nice big ring on it for you to put your your hand towel <laughs> Which just that's fun, <laughs> but yeah. So that's that's just uh, the tip of a very large iceberg of what's going on. I, somebody has said that my spirit animal is now a uh, a hive of bees because <laughs> they're fairly certain that that's what's happening in my head at all times. Just <laughs> but they do think that hopefully those bees are working towards a, a common goal. You know, so like, oh, all right. Now I'm not as offended. Every word you just said was absolutely beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From CZ3 to uh, the Jabba Gargoyles. Uh, Thank you, man. Uh, I I am glad to hear that. We put so much into what we're designing and making. And I know my taste is narrow when it comes to Star Wars stuff. It's super focused. And I'm just glad that there are so many people out there that are weirdos like us and that, (laughs) you know, can bask in the glory of this opportunity and just like, what? I'm going to get to make CZ3 like as a real licensed Star Wars product? (laughs) Are you sure? It's like, is somebody going to figure this out and tell us no? Not yet? All right. Well, let's keep going. You know, Uh, that's the way I approach every project now. (laughs) It's just like. Someone's got to shut this down, right? No? All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, how can, how can folks follow you out there if they don't already know, if they're if for some reason? And so I can be found at, uh, at Regal Robot on you know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and everywhere, uh, YouTube. Uh, and then all, all on the same things, uh, at Tom Spina Designs. And uh, do me a favor, follow both. Tell your friends, tell your friends to follow us too. We're making a lot of fun stuff, and I, I'm just always so excited to share it with people we learned a lot we laughed a lot our, our brains were blown apart a lot and uh, and we thank you once again for for joining us once again I, anytime you want me on the show you call man i'm i'm always happy to be here guys and i just thank you for for having me on it's always oh, fun it's, it's our pleasure It's the Star Wars Creature Cantina that you put together. Action figures each sold separately. You can make them move on revolving discs with the action lever. You can even make them fall. Gotcha, Hammerhead. Got him. I told you not to follow me, Guido. You owe us money, Han Solo. We're not going to collect this time. Wow, what a weird place. Kenner's new Star Wars Creature Cantina. Action figures sold separately.
And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. so much everyone out there for listening again you know our deal yeah leave us an itunes review out there uh if you like the show we'll read it in an upcoming episode and check out our website blastpointspodcast.com check us out on instagram twitter facebook sign up for the blast points chill group on facebook if you like the show help us out on patreon <laughs> well, i think that wraps up episode number 176 here We've said it a million times again, but thank you once again, Tom, for coming on and educating us. My pleasure, guys. I will talk with you soon. Right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. You sound good. like we just ran a marathon together. I mean, you know. I feel like, I, think, I think our brains ran a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> There's sweat coming out of my ears. Just like, oh, come on. <laughs> like I said, I'm just glad I'm not the only one that didn't make the connection that Peter Diamond was the snitch talking to those troopers. I would have felt really bad. Oh. <laughs> When I edit this, I'm told, I'm going to find the sound effect for the uh, the pr- right, like, is right, the big wheel. I just love chatting with you guys, and it's always so much fun, <laughs> regardless of the fact that you know we're talking about the cantina, which just makes me happy. But um, you guys are you guys are always a blast, no pun uh. intended. Uh.